My name is Catherine Ann Byam, and I'm the host of Where Ideas Launch, the podcast for the sustainable innovator. COP26 is a moment in time that we will remember as either the time that we turned the world around for the good, or the moment, the last chance that we had to make a difference. COP26 has four goals. Secure global net zero by mid-century and keep 1.5 degrees within reach. Adapt to protect communities and natural habitats. Mobilize finance and work together to deliver. Let's see what the initiatives of COP26 will have in store for all of us. Today, my guest is Tessa Clark. Tessa is the co-founder and CEO of Olio, a free app tackling the problem of waste by connecting neighbors with each other and volunteers with local businesses so that surplus food and other household items can be given away and not thrown away. Olio has grown to 5 million users in just over five years and its impact has been widely recognized, most notably by the United Nations who highlighted Olio as a beacon for the world and by VivaTech who awarded Olio the next European unicorn. Prior to Olio, Tessa had a 15-year corporate career as digital managing director in the media, retail, and financial services sectors. And she met her co-founder, Sasha, whilst they were studying for their MBAs at Stanford University. Tessa is passionate about the sharing economy as a solution for a sustainable world and about profit with purpose as the next business paradigm. What an amazing mission you have, Tessa. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Great to be with you. Olio has clearly hit a nerve with people and has become such a trending brand name in the sustainability space. What prompted you to really begin this Olio journey? So the Olio journey started really in my childhood. My parents are farmers up in North Yorkshire in the northeast of the UK. And when you grow up on a farm, you learn firsthand just how much hard work goes into producing the food that we all eat every day. And as a result of that, I grew up with a pathological hatred of food waste. Now, I didn't think anything in particular about that and um, went off and pursued, as you've touched on, a fairly classic corporate career. But everything changed through a seemingly inconsequential moment in my life uh, just over five years ago now. I was living outside of the UK and moving back. And on moving day, the removal men told me that I had to throw away all of our uneaten food. Now, obviously, given how much I hate food waste, I was not prepared to do that. So instead, I set out into the streets, clutching this food, hoping to find someone to give it to. And to cut a long story short, I failed miserably. But I wasn't to be defeated. I went back to my apartment. And when the removal men weren't looking, I smuggled the non-perishable food into the bottom of my packing boxes. And I can remember that moment so vividly. I thought, wow, I'm probably performing a criminal offense right now. But to me, it felt even more criminal to put perfectly good food in the bin when I knew there was someone probably within 100 meters of me who would like it. And so that was how the whole idea of Olio came about. It, it's incredible because I think, you know, growing up in a farm in Yorkshire, I grew up in a, in a farm in the Caribbean and the community was always important, right? So yeah. nothing would ever go to waste. You, you would always share. <laughs> exactly. And actually, that's one of the things we've discovered uh, since launching Olio is that nobody enjoys throwing away food. And the reason why we do throw it away is because we're no longer connected with our local community. We no longer have someone to give that food to. And that's actually what Olio is trying to counter. We're trying to harness the powers of uh, modern technology to make it simple, safe, fast and fun for you to be reconnected to your local community. So you do have someone to give that food away to. Powerful message. Which of your past skills would you consider most transferable to the Olio journey and why? It's a really interesting question because both Sasha and I 
you know, between us, we'd had a 40 year corporate career before we became entrepreneurs. And so we definitely felt that we were going against the grain a little bit. I think the stereotype of an entrepreneur is some kind of couple of young guys who have dropped out of college wearing hoodies, you know, right at the beginning of their careers. And, and we were definitely not that. We were sort of two mums in the middle of their life. But what we've realized actually is that all of those skills that we acquired through our corporate careers have been incredibly helpful and valuable for us. And I think it's fair to say that we have kept probably half of the things that we learned from our corporate backgrounds and we've ditched the other half that we think is a waste of time. So the stuff that we've kept is everything around recruiting, retaining, managing people, leading teams, communications, strategy, the importance of customer insight, data analytics, all that good stuff is absolutely critical, no matter what size of organization you're working in. The stuff that we jettisoned, the moment we got the opportunity, I think was a lot of that, the bureaucracy, just the time scales on which things happened. When you're an entrepreneur with very limited resources and time is money, you have to move extremely quickly. You have to test and experiment the whole time. And so very early on, we read a book called The Lean Startup by Eric Ries, And that book, above all others, I think really transformed our mental mindset and changed it to something very new, which prioritized, as I say, that constant test, measure, learn, test, measure, learn process. I think there are a couple of books in this category of of startup that are really powerful. I think Alex Osterwald is one of those authors that that I think is really um, pivotal in this space. So what are some of the challenges you faced when you started as well? So many challenges. Every day is a a new challenge. And the important thing to recognize is that that comes with the territory and you've got to learn to be at ease with that. We had a couple of very significant early challenges. So one of the first early challenges was that our early adopters loved Olio, uh, but they hated food waste. And so they had no food to give away. And then we had somewhat naively, I think, hoped that local businesses would use the Olio app at the end of the day Right. to bring extra customers into the store, et cetera. And they were too busy to running their core businesses to be messing around, sort of messaging with members of the community in an app. So we had a food sharing app that had no food on it, which, as I'm sure you'll agree, was pretty useless. Uh, so how we solved that conundrum was we said, well, why don't we take the people who hate food waste, don't have any, but have plenty of time, and match them with the businesses that have lots of food waste in no time. And that resulted in our Food Waste Heroes program, which today has over 35,000 trained volunteers. These are members of the Olio community who we match with their local business. And then at the end of uh, day for that business, the volunteer will show up, they'll take all of their unsold food, they'll take it home, they'll add it to the app. Within minutes, the neighbors are requesting it. And minutes later, they're popping around and picking it up. So that helped us um, overcome the problem of a food sharing app with no food. Another early challenge was how to grow the community with very close to no marketing budget. Because again, Olio is a product that depends upon there being lots of other people using it for it to actually work and be useful. And so how we managed to get around that was we developed our ambassador program and we now have over 50,000 ambassadors. So these are people who are really passionate about our mission and they recognize that for them to be able to use Olio, their neighbors need to be on Olio as well. And so we give our ambassadors both digital content to enable them to spread the word, but we also give them old school letters and posters and flyers so they can do that sort of hyper local guerrilla marketing on our behalf. And that's been a really, really cost effective way for us to, to grow rapidly. 
I'm really curious about the topic of the business model because I, I read in your summary that this is a free app. Yeah. So I guess my question is, how are you actually making money? Great question. Uh, so we are firm believers in profit with purpose. So Olio is absolutely not a charity. We believe that business can and should do good. Um, but in order to survive and thrive, you've got to have a sustainable business model. So we generate revenues through the service that we provide to the businesses that I just outlined with our food waste heroes. So at the moment, businesses have to pay a waste contractor to take their surplus food away. Hmm. Instead, they are now paying us to ensure that that food is taken away, but redistributed to the local community. So it's eaten, not thrown away. And our largest clients are Tesco, Pret-a-Manger, uh, Booker, the uh, wholesaler, and many, many more. That is brilliant. It's, it's really a great way to solve, solve two problems, right? It's, it's really turning waste into, into a product, it's circular economy, it's everything that's, that's good in what we're transforming in the world today. So really kudos to, to coming up with what a great model. Thank you. Yeah, we, we love it too. <laughs> <laughs> so what's it been like as a woman leading in a global trending brand in, in, this, in this new space of sustainability? Tell me, tell me a bit about that. Yeah, so I think that being a female co-founded business, so I should say it's not just me, it's my co-founder Sasha as well is nothing but an advantage and a benefit. I think we've been able to build a brilliantly inclusive and diverse team. We have a phenomenal culture and, and we measure sort of our culture regularly. And we're really, really proud of that. There is only one way in which being a woman is a disadvantage and it is a crippling disadvantage. And this is when it comes to the topic of fundraising. So female founded businesses receive just 1% of all venture capital investment. Male founded businesses receive 89% and mixed teams receive 10%. And when you are fundraising and facing those incredibly depressing odds, it is extremely challenging. And I should say that uh, this is a problem that afflicts not only female founders, but uh, diverse founders of all types as well. And it infuriates me because when I look at the world and when I see who is really stepping up and solving some of the world's largest problems, like the climate crisis, like social inequality, et cetera, it is diverse founders who are doing that. And the fact that they receive just spare crumbs of investment capital means that we are short, ultimately shortchanging humanity due to a lack of investment in those diverse founders. Um, that is the only thing that has been challenging as a, as a female leader. Yeah, no, that's, that's really a powerful message because I think I've, I've spoken to many, uh, quite a variety of people on, on this podcast and, and you're absolutely right. The people who are go-getting, who are really making game-changing moves in their local environments, in their nation states. Um, I spoke to a young lady in Namibia the other day who's trying to change how they do agriculture there and she can't get the funding. And this yeah. is such such a problem and it's a crisis. It really. is. Yeah, it, 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 it is. And it's not like this is sort of nice to have topics that we're talking about. You know, that lady you mentioned, she's literally trying to feed local communities and feed the world. And um, we are shortchanging all of us by not investing properly in these diverse founders. And, and the flip side of that is I find it infuriating seeing all the capital that's 
flowing into areas that argue if you kind of to step back and look at what humanity really needs to be investing in at this point in time you might say that we perhaps shouldn't be spending billions on you know getting people's groceries delivered within 15 minutes right nice. <laughs> um uh so yeah it, it's it's a topic that i'm very passionate about what surprised you the most about this journey if anything um surprised me the most well every day is a surprise um quite literally i think one of the things that I learned very early on, I think because you listen to lots of stories of successful startups and you hear about Airbnb and, and, and people like that. And often when the story is told retrospectively, it's told as if there was this sort of silver bullet or this moment in time which resulted in this uh, massive inflection point. And what we have learned earlier, and I think many entrepreneurs quickly realize is that there isn't a single silver bullet you know for a long time we lived in hope that the next feature the next marketing campaign the next initiative would be the one that propelled us into the stratosphere but the reality is that actually it's just about showing up every single day and just testing and improving and testing and improving and cumulatively that adds up and that's what takes you the distance yeah, pretty much. An overnight success takes about five years to build. Yeah, <laughs> and you're like, which you know, which part of those 10,000 nights was the overnight? <laughs> <laughs> so what would you say to someone who's wanting to begin on a green first sort of entrepreneurial journey? And it could be green first, digital first, whatever the, the idea. I have several pieces of advice. So, so the first one is to make sure that you are solving a real problem and a problem that you are really, really passionate about. Is this your life's calling? Life is far too short to be working on something that isn't sort of your life's calling. And there are so many massive problems out there that need solving yesterday that I think we all need to kind of um, stand up and kind of get going. Um, the other thing I would say very much linked to that is to stay focused on the problem that you are trying to solve and do not allow yourself to fall in love with your particular solution because it is almost inevitable that your solution will not be perfect when you first launch it into the market. And it might actually be completely incorrect for the problem that you're trying to solve. And if you just stay really, really focused on the problem that you're trying to solve, then you will be able to test and iterate your way to a product that will solve that. The other thing, um, as I've already touched on, I recommend that everybody reads the book, The Lean Startup by Eric Rees, and also a book called The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick, which is all about how to do that kind of early market research. And then I think the other thing I would say is to reach out and, and build a peer group, connect with other people who are going through the same journey. It can be extremely lonely. Uh, unless people are kind of going through it themselves, it's really hard to understand what the entrepreneurial journey is like. And also, it's much quicker learning from the experience of others than necessarily having to experience every single mistake yourself. Absolutely. And then, yeah, the final thing is to enjoy it, right? Yeah. Like, make sure you enjoy the journey because you will never reach your destination. Uh, that's something else that I've realized. Um, so in, in, enjoy it whilst, whilst you're doing it. What's next for, for Olio? What's, what's on the horizon? What's happening now? What are you excited about? So we have set ourselves an enormous and terrifying goal of 1 billion oleoers by 2030 and the reason for that is really really simple if humanity is to stand any chance whatsoever of living in a 1.5 degree warmed world then that is what we need to achieve so we're super clear on the end goal and we are busy um, plotting the right path in between where we are now 
and, and that goal. Uh, what I'm kind of really excited by, I'm really excited that businesses are finally waking up to the fact that food waste is wrong. And so we have lots and lots and lots of businesses from supermarkets to the quick commerce companies to quick service restaurants to corporate canteens. They're all wanting to work with us to enable them to have zero food waste locations. And that's that's changed. You know, we've we've been sort of slogging away at this for a couple of years. And, and definitely this year, there's been a real mindset shift as businesses are realizing that time is up for food waste. Um, the other thing I'm super excited by is we've recently launched a section in the app called Borrow, which connects people to their neighbors so you can lend and borrow everyday household items. And we're super passionate about that because we are sort of currently in the midst of a resource depletion crisis, basically. So, uh, and that's best exemplified by the concept of Earth Overshoot Day. So Earth Overshoot Day is the day in the year in which humanity has used all the resources that can be replenished in a year. And when it was first measured it, in 1969, Earth Overshoot Day was the 31st of December. So humanity used in a year what the planet could replenish in a year. Fast forward to this year, Earth Overshoot Day was the 29th of July. And so what that means is that every single thing, that every single one of us seven and a half billion people are consuming after the 29th of July is net net depleted to the planet. And this is a very long roundabout way of me explaining why I'm so excited by uh, this new borrow section, because what we have, you know, we're consuming collectively as if we have 1.75 planets. And by 2030, we're on track to be consuming as if we have three planets. And by 2050, we're on track to be consuming as if we have five planets. Clearly, we only have one planet. And so we've got to reinvent how we consume. And so we really want people to, when they want to consume, to first and foremost, utilize the resources that already exist in our local community. And so instead of you going out to buy a cat carrier or buy a fancy dress costume or buy a drill, why don't you just borrow one that is sat gathering dust in a neighbor's home? Um, and if we can borrow instead of buying, if we can give stuff away instead of throwing stuff away, then we really can help solve the climate crisis at scale. Absolutely. Listen, thank you so much for this. How can my listeners follow your work and get involved in what you're doing? I guess go download the Olio app. Download the Olio app. Yes, absolutely. Um, so Olio is spelled O-L-I-O. And you can find us in the App Store, in Google Play, and then uh, on our website as well. So you don't have to have a smartphone to use Olio. You can access it via the website. And then we're very active on social media as well. So it's at Olio. Dot app. And if you're interested in learning more about uh, sort of sustainability and sustainable living, uh, then please do follow me. I'm on Medium. I'm at Tessa L.F. Clark with an E. Perfect. Thank you so much, Tessa, for joining us today. Season four of Where Ideas Launch was brought to you today by Catherine Ann Byam, Business Resilience and Strategy Consulting Services. Catherine provides business assessments and strategic support to help guide your business toward a net zero future. Get in touch with Catherine Ann Byam on LinkedIn.